Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, hope you are well this week. Welcome to this episode of the Motherkind Podcast. As ever, I am so happy and grateful that you are here. It is with Kate Northrup. She is an entrepreneur, a best-selling author and a mother of two girls and she has built this huge empire digitally which reaches hundreds of thousands of women globally and her mission is to support ambitious women particularly mothers to light up the world without burning themselves out in the process isn't that an amazing mission and something I know I need to hear a lot my desire to overwork is real so I really really love Kate's work she has an incredible book out called do less which we talk about in this conversation so we start out talking about lockdown and why did we go back to this 1950s housewife where we seemed to pick up everything as the women and mothers she has such an interesting view on that we talk about her modeling that she saw her mother overworking and burning out and how she's determined not to repeat that pattern and she gives tons of tips and tools that is what is amazing about Kate is she is a visionary but she's also really practical so if you want to learn things like the do less filter how to manage your energy not your time then that's all in the episode so I hope you're going to really enjoy it thank you as well for those of you that are doing the family reset plan which is my online course it's two and a half hours which is going to help you reflect on the insane six months that we've all had and take a breath and there's an amazing coaching questions in there how to really navigate going forward from this point so thank you for those of you that are doing it and have sent me emails telling me that it has been incredibly helpful and I think a couple have even said life-changing so thank you so much for that if you haven't had a chance to look at it yet it's just 25 pounds we've got a separate website set up for it familyresetplan.co.uk and it is totally free if you work for the NHS in honour of our gratitude for the amazing service that you have given us all over this pandemic so here is the episode I hope that you really 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 enjoy it and I will see you next week here it is welcome to the podcast Kate I'm so excited to be chatting thank you for having me well I've followed your work for a long 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 time first reading money a love story and then you know obviously do less which just spoke to me so perfectly my business was ramping up at the time I had a three and a half year old and I was pregnant so I just loved it so thank you for putting it out there for all us you're so welcome on the verge of burnout mothers it was incredibly helpful so I'd really really love to get your thoughts on what's been going on in the world for the past six months with the coronavirus pandemic. 
And in the book, you said we need to lean out so that the systems that don't support our well-being can collapse and new ones can be formed. And I was wondering, what's your take on this time? Do you feel like systems are collapsing? And what I'm noticing is mothers with the loss of childcare seem to do, you know, three times as much as they were before. And the kind of rhetoric in the UK is that there's been a return to this kind of 1950s housewife who's been Mm -hmm. doing everything. So can we start there? I'd love to get your views on this. Yes. Oh my gosh. There's so many layers. So That was like the longest question in history. (laughs) So yeah. So the systems, of course, you know, when I wrote Do Less, I had no idea 2020 was going to happen. And so are the systems collapsing? Some of them are for sure. You know, when I look at the higher education system and at least here in the United States, the way just colleges and the ridiculous expense and the lack of access and then the student loans, like I think all of that is going to be called into question with this whole concept of remote learning. And like, you know, so that's going to be interesting to watch and witness. Obviously we saw over here, at least, you know, I, of course, like I've only been experiencing this time in Maine where I live in the United States, but, you know, we certainly have become more aware of our supply chains and just the way globalization has made us dependent on possibly unsustainable supply chains. So that's a system that I think we're going to, it's going to be interesting to take a look at, but as far as the home family and childcare systems, There are external systems that keep the status quo, and then there are internal systems that keep the status quo. And what I mean by that is there's the external manifestations of how our beliefs and sort of the way things have always done show up. And that's in unequal pay, for example, for women and certainly women of color, especially And then there's a dearth of female leadership in the heads of government, in the heads of companies, all of that, right? So that's sort of more of a systemic external manifestation. But what's been really interesting about this time is that what is being highlighted is the internal manifestations of these systems. And so what do I mean by that? What I mean by that is... With the additional pressure of no child care and, you know, let's say a woman had help with house cleaning or whatever. See, there's my bias right there. Let's say a family (laughs) had help with house cleaning or whatever else, like, and not having that support, all of a sudden what is being made visible is all the invisible labor. And with the pressure, what's happening is under pressure we go into default, right? So like under times of stress, we go into our default reactions. And because it has not been that long in human recorded history that we've been celebrating and working towards women's equality, there is still a deep cellular memory that we have that's our default of, oh, I should just handle all of this this is a woman's job. So that's not necessarily true, but it's in there on some level. And it takes conscious effort to overcome that because we're not that many generations away 
from it just being like, yes, of course the woman should handle all of that. Why are we even talking about this? Right. Like that was my grandmother and in certain ways, my mother's generation, although less my mother's generation. And so under times of stress, we do not have the bandwidth for higher consciousness to overcome our brainwashing. And so I think that by default, societally, we have gone backwards into, oh, now let's say a cisgendered heterosexual couple with children. Okay, now we're working from home. Now our children are home and we are going back in time to 1950 or 1920 or 1850 because we don't have the bandwidth to be conscious and overcome it. And so all it takes is awareness. And I love seeing all the awareness being raised on social media and think pieces on blogs and all of it. I think it's incredibly important. And I really want to encourage all of us to not only look at the way the systems are failing us, but also look at the way that we are willingly participating in that. And so we need to actually have the revolution in our kitchen as well as in our boardrooms. You're so right. You know, because I think what characterized what happened was, I don't know how it felt for you, but for me, it felt like it was really quick, almost overnight, the nursery. You know, they were saying, we're not going to shut, we're not going to shut. And then we got an email saying, we're shutting tomorrow. And I was like, shit. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there wasn't much time to meditate on this. It was like, as you say, you know, that real fight or flight let's just figure this out. And, you know, Guy and I had that conversation, my husband, you know, how are we going to figure this? His work brings in more income than mine does. That was mm-hmm. a really important factor. So how did you and Mike, because you and Mike work together, and I'm assuming that you lost childcare for your two little girls. How did you manage that? And how did you manage to hold on to that I'm guessing you did, that level of kind of consciousness and awareness so that you didn't find yourself being the she-fault, as my friend <laughs> Eve Rodsky. Do you know Eve Rodsky? You'd love her. No, um, but that's a great phrase. <laughs> she-fault. Did you become the she-fault? Oh, genius. So I will just say no. And the reason for that is, is because Mike and I have put systems and structures within our marriage so that I've never been the she-fault. And so under a time of pressure, it just wouldn't have happened (laughs) because like we don't operate that way. Mike and I have put a concerted effort into setting up a balance of the workload, both on the home front and on the business front that feels equitable and that feels like it serves both of us. Now, that being said, we have to update it about every six months. So it's not like a set it and forget it kind of thing. And so when I talk about the revolution in your kitchen, (laughs) it's an ongoing excavation of like, okay, what are my beliefs about womanhood? What are my beliefs about motherhood? What are the defaults in me? And are they serving me or are they not serving me? What are my partner's expectations around marriage and manhood or womanhood or personhood? And how are those acting out in our marriage and in our partnership? So real practically speaking, we did not have childcare like everybody else for about two and a half months. Many people obviously still don't have childcare and had much longer. So I really just want to acknowledge 
we all have had different blessings in different ways and different hardships in different ways. And overall, because I run an online business, I have been very blessed during this time, which has made it so that I didn't go as much into fight or flight as other people did. And so it's given me sort of the privilege of a more bird's eye view. So I just really want to acknowledge that I get that everyone is in a different boat right now. And if you're listening and I say something that feels flippant and you're like, well, easy for you to say, just know I may very well have blind spots around this. So I just want to acknowledge that. So what we did is we just decided, okay, well, first of all, I will just say like right when the shutdown happened where we live, I got really sick and I'm 99.9% sure I had COVID. So that was kind of wild because we had no childcare and I was in bed for four days. And really was like pretty tired for a full month. So I couldn't actually go into a she fault because (laughs) I was sick. And then after I felt better, and then Mike got sick for a little while. But after that, we just worked out a schedule that was going to work for us. So I would spend the morning with the girls and then we would swap at about noon. And then I would go, Mike was renting a little office in town. So we would just swap off who was going to the office and who was being with the kids. I just whittled down my work to the bare minimum and just got done the bare minimum. A lot of things didn't get done. There were a lot of loose ends. I just had to keep giving myself a lot of grace and hope that our customers would as well. And we were able to serve the people who we needed to serve and postpone whatever needed to be postponed. But in our relationship, I will also say we have a little bit of a role reversal where from an income perspective, it's more crucial that I show up to work than my husband. And so we did have that very real conversation where it was like, okay, let's split it 50-50. But if there was a situation where like I really needed a full day of work, he became more of the default parent. It's so fascinating how this pause that you said that you had where you had to do a lot, lot, lot less because that is what happened to you, wasn't it? After the birth of your second daughter. Yes, (laughs) it was a very big repeat. (laughs) Yeah, like fascinating. And that's really where the do less nuggets of it came from, isn't it? Is when you suddenly tell us that story and how you came to realize that effectively you could do half as much and be twice as productive. Yeah. So there are two layers. The first one was that sort of by accident, I realized that after the birth of my first daughter, because I had a traumatic birth and then all kinds of issues with mastitis and she was sick and low birth weight and all the things, postpartum anxiety, postpartum insomnia, you know, a year with a sick baby. It was just like such a hard year and I didn't have nearly enough support and I didn't think it was okay to ask for it. I just thought I shouldn't need any help. So I just sort of pretended I was fine, but I wasn't. So basically after that year, it was really wild because when we sat down and looked at our numbers, we realized we had made the same amount of revenue working like way less than half the amount. So that was the year we did it by accident. And then I started looking at, okay, well, how could I replicate some of this? Not in a year of tremendous stress. Maybe you don't have to be completely sleep deprived and losing your mind and have a sick baby in order, you know, in order to figure this out. And so 
I started with cyclical tracking and reorganizing my workflow in a more sustainable way. And we can certainly talk more about the details about that. And then a couple years later, my second daughter was born. And right around that time, my husband got profoundly ill and was sort of in many ways out of the game for nine months. And so I had a newborn, I had a toddler, and I had a company that I had run with my husband, but he was not able to work. He was like fully not able to work for only six weeks and fully not able to parent for only six weeks. But it was nine months of like, is he okay today? Is he not? You know, it was just like, I didn't have that reliable partner. And when you add on a newborn, when you add on a toddler, and when you add on being essentially the sole breadwinner at that time, it was a lot. And I will say it was just like such a great opportunity to practice what I preach because I had already written Do Less, the bulk of it. I was doing the edits for it. And I was like, oh, wow. 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 Okay. (laughs) Live case study. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, I guess I'll practice some of this stuff. I am very pleased to say that applying, being really, really diligent, rigorous about the 80-20 rule and what is the highest and best use of my time and asking for help like I had never asked for help before. You know, we made it. We made it. And the business did not collapse. We didn't lose our house. My kids stayed alive. You mentioned asking for help a few times and I want to get into this because it's something, you know, I talk about a lot on the podcast. I hear it from a lot of clients, a lot of my community is this kind of mask that we put on and we square up and we think that we just have to get through. And I'm wondering, where do you think that belief came from for you personally and societally and how do we break that and how did you break it and what's it meant for you so specifically as women having generations of being known as the weaker sex that's a collective trauma that's an intergenerational trauma that is being told that you are less than your entire life implicitly and explicitly is really rough. Then here we are as mothers, here we are in the workplace, here we are as partners, here we are as friends, sisters, daughters. And it's like we have grown from this bedrock of the belief that women are less than. And yes, obviously we've made tremendous strides. And I don't think many of us consciously go around in our days thinking like women aren't as good, right? But when we look at Parliament, we look at the United States Senate and the House and the Supreme Court. We are not represented at the higher levels of leadership. And the message that that sends is we're not as good. We don't see ourselves, right? And so it's an implicit, you know, more subtle, but it's there. And so then here we are living our lives and feeling like we're in a moment of stress and maybe it's more than we can handle. Are we going to then be the first to raise our hands and be like, oh, actually, I can't do this. I need help when we've been trying for generations to prove that we're good enough? No. (laughs) So there's a beautiful book called Patriarchy Stress Disorder by Dr. Valerie Rain, which I highly recommend, where she really lays this out. And it was a huge awakening for me. I read that book early this year. It's a huge awakening for me. So really noticing the way in which 
not asking for help and putting on the mask and pretending we're fine and pretending we're more capable than we are, or not even more capable because plenty of us are super capable, but like needing help with something is not a sign of weakness. So that's the big lie. And asking for help is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of being human. And humans are herd creatures. We need each other in order to survive. And so asking for help is part of being human. Needing help is part of being human. And and so for myself, this continues to be an ongoing journey. I'm great at asking for logistical help. I'm not so good at asking for emotional help. So different people are different in different ways. I just continue to be like, oh, wow, okay, I'm struggling right now. Like, is this something I can handle on my own? And even if it is, is there someone who I could lean on? And what I found is that my relationships have become so much stronger, the less and less I'm pretending to always be okay. Yeah, it's so true. I think the challenge that I found though is that what I need on the other side of that friendship is when I go with the vulnerability in the thick of something, you know, not when I've already processed it and then I share about it, is I need someone on the other end who can help by holding space. And I think actually that is a skill which is a learned skill. I certainly wasn't taught that growing up or through school, how not to jump in and try and fix someone or come up with a suggestion. You know, if I phone a friend in floods of tears because I haven't slept that night, I don't really want sleep training tips. But that's what we do. And I can find myself doing it to friends as well, is that ability to just hear someone. And I'm wondering... When you ask for help, do you give a request like that? Like, I'm feeling really vulnerable and I don't want you to fix me. I just want you to hear me. Or is your circle of girlfriends really good at that? I actually have a Voxer chat that I'm on with three very close girlfriends and we support each other in life and business. And we're very good at coming on to say, like, I just need to share this. Can you witness me? Or like, Mm -hmm. I really love help. Do you have any suggestions? So to categorize one or the other, I think with my husband, I've gotten better at being like, I just need to say this out loud. Can you listen? Versus like, do you have any suggestions? So we've worked on that. I will say in our relationship, I'm probably more the one who will jump in and try to fix it than he is. So I'm working on that in myself. I have this little post-it note stuck to my computer to guide me in working with my high-level clients. And it says, see them, hear them, hold them. And that came through for me as I was in meditation, just asking, what do they most need from me? Like, how can I serve these women in the highest way possible? And that's what came through. And so fix them was not on the list. Yeah, yeah. You know, as um, you were saying that, I was like, God, isn't that a parenting mantra as well? Oh my gosh, yes. And just really like, I practice that all the time with my girls. It's hard when they're screaming or having a tantrum to not want to distract them, to not want to offer them something to make them stop. Sometimes it can grate on every nerve, but it's like, if I can breathe and expand my capacity to be with their discomfort, but not need that to take me out, right? Like I don't have to join them in the freak out, (laughs) but I can be there with them in the freak out. So that's an ongoing process. Some days I'm better than others. Yeah, same. But I think that is kind of conscious parenting, isn't it? It's when we can 
as you say, not fix on their feelings and teach them to feel their feelings, which was just a massive, massive for me. I wanted to ask you about pre-do less and the modeling. You know, we talk a lot on this podcast about generational modeling and alchemizing that and doing it differently for our daughters and sons to witness. And I'm really interested in how you were before. And you talk about it in the book almost consistently working to the point of burnout and having seen that modeled from your own mother. Can you talk a bit to that and how through this work and some of the tools, you're really changing that generational pattern? This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe, non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. I'm really here to interrupt my lineage in terms of this. It's not just my mother. It's like both sides. It's my grandmother. It's, you know, it's really this like hyper overworking legacy from all sides. And my family is not different from other people's families in this regard. You know, I know that a lot of people have this in common, like the mother that you've never seen sit still or. Well, that's my my mom too. Right? Yeah. It's like the grandmother who's clearing the plate before you've even taken the last bite. And so the value of rest was not modeled for me whether it was going to my grandmother's and witnessing her at the age of 75, like celebrating having had a three sport day and also mow the back hill, you know, which was like 20 acres. (laughs) All of this to say, like, there is so much value and beauty in dedication to being useful. And my work is not about idleness. My work is about doing less of the things that don't matter so that we are not distracted by the busyness away from our most meaningful moments and our most impactful work. So it's about not being busy to prove our worth, but in fact, investing in the work that is the highest and best use of our unique gifts and talents in this particular lifetime. And I will just say like, you know, if you had met me at 25, it's not like I was on my laptop 15 hours a day, you know, early on, I saw the way my parents worked as doctors, you know, that is the medical establishment. So it's not like it's their fault. This is what they chose to go into. And the medical system is very toxic and very broken and is not about health at all. If it were about health, then doctors would be healthy. (laughs) 
know, and, the, and they're overworked and they're exhausted and, you know, and they're like wearing a badge of honor because of how little sleep that they've gotten and staying up all night, all the time and doing these crazy 24 hour shifts and all this. And then they're coming in to supposedly heal people. And like, doctors are amazing. I just like, I bow at their feet, the work that they do and, and nurses as well. It's a broken system. So I watched them and very early on, I started my first business at the age of 18 because I wanted to be able to earn an income that was not dependent on the hours I put in. So I wanted to build something that could pay me whether I was working or not. So I could have more freedom than the trading hours for dollars model that I had witnessed. And then I worked on that. And then over time it's evolved, but I've been sort of working on healing this lineage for a long time. You know, I'm fascinated. You know, I come from this lineage and interestingly, my maternal, my paternal line is often the busyness was a avoidance because we didn't get taught about feelings and how to sit with ourselves. And I'm wondering, is that true for you too? And how have you healed that? Because I speak to a lot of clients who get this, you know, intellectually, it makes so much sense, doesn't it? Like focusing on where we're going to get the biggest wins and slowing down. But in practice, I see quite a lot of resistance because so often we just don't know how to sit with ourselves in rest. And in that space, I know this is true for me, things bubble up that maybe I don't want to see or feel. Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> so <laughs> it really is. I was blessed to have a mother who actually did really encourage us to go into our feelings and be angry if we needed to be angry and especially to have a good cry. I'm such a crier. I just remember my mom would always say like, just let it out and feel it. And really she did have quite a bit of capacity and space for that. I think because of the work that she's done in women's health and just like holding women. So I'm grateful for that. And also it's still hard. (laughs) And, you know, I'm going through something personally in my life right now that is really uncomfortable. And I am noticing the response in my body to this situation is like in a very subtle way, I actually feel like I'm going to die. It's like, feels like I'm actually physically unsafe. I know logically that that is not true. I'm sitting in my quiet office, like I'm totally safe, but it feels like on a low level that I am in danger. And so in this place, where as women, we have had generations of, if you're powerful, if you talk back, if you stand out, if you're anything beyond the subservient norm, then you literally would be in danger or killed. Like that's been true for women for centuries, not necessarily where I live right now today, but certainly in other places in the world, that's still very much the case. And that is a collective experience. And then that's also a intergenerational experience that through epigenetics is passed down to us. Like that's in there. And you think like on a stressful day, I'm going to want to sit and meditate and sit with the feeling that I think I'm going to (laughs) die. I mean, it's just, it's awful. And so that is why I think really the work around healing the nervous system is so powerful. 
Yeah. You know, finding a somatic experiencing practitioner, finding a therapist who is trained in trauma awareness, but also in somatic healing, because these things get stuck in our bodies and we cannot heal them through our thoughts. There's a whole mindset movement, right? Like, oh, did you fix your thinking if you just think a better thought? Yes, totally. I'm all about it. And also there are certain things that you just cannot unravel any way other than through your body. And that's a very different thing than thinking a new thought because our cells remember something else. And so having some tools for nervous system healing and triggering the rest and restore response as opposed to the fight or flight or freeze response is incredibly powerful. A few of mine are putting my bare feet on the ground. So putting my bare feet on the earth, not like the ground on the second floor of my office, but like (laughs) the grass or hugging a tree. Both of those things are actually really calming to the nervous system. I know hugging a tree, it sounds like so weird, but it really is effective and free. Breathing into my lower back ribs definitely turns on the rest and restore response for me. Shaking, literally just like standing up and spending a minute or two shaking all of my whole body is very helpful. And then singing loudly for me also really helps. So those are some of my go-tos, but I mean, there's literally millions. EFT tapping is really powerful. There's so many different nervous system healing techniques. I think it's just so good for me and I know for listeners to hear you talk about this because I think if someone just glanced at the cover of your book they may think well I've tried to slow down and actually I can't but I think what you're so eloquently describing is that like with so many things there are much deeper layers you know as to why we keep ourselves busy and I wanted to ask you about tracking energy Because that's something that I personally have got so much from your work. And actually, when I was researching for this podcast, one of the most searched terms around your name is your energy tracker. So tell us about tracking energy, not time, and how that has impacted the way that you work. I just have to tell you something funny, which is like, (laughs) when you ask that question, I'm like, oh, yeah. important. And the reason I say this is just like, I am continually humbled by how much I need this work. It's what I teach. And it's also what I need. I'm not one of those teachers who's like, I have figured this out. Come join me. I'm a teacher of, I am figuring this out. Want to do it with me. (laughs) So the energy tracking is really this whole idea that our work in the world, whether it's the work of mothering, the work of partnering, the work of our career, our vocation, we need energy to do that work. And a lack of energy prevents us from doing the work in the most effective and efficient way possible. So while many people talk about managing our time it's actually far more effective to manage your energy because if you know your sources of energy and if you can enhance your energy and align your work and your life with your predictable energetic ebbs and flows, you get a lot more done in a lot less time and you can actually time bend, which is the experience of having more than enough time than you need even when maybe on a linear level, 
you shouldn't have had enough time. And I think we all can relate to this. You know, we've had these experiences where it's like, I don't know, I went into some kind of time warp and then like suddenly it just happened. Like I remember when I was submitting the final, final, final edits, it wasn't for do less. I honestly can't remember what it was for, but anyway, (laughs) editing something. And I had waited until the very last minute, which I've come to learn over time is actually my creative process. So here's an energy saving tip get to know your creative process and honor it instead of pushing up against it. Other people have a deadline and they do little chunks of work all throughout so that it's all evenly spaced. And then, you know, they just do it all along. I am not that way. I'm an 11th hour person. I'm not an all nighter person, but like I will block out enough time to do something right before it's due. And through my own energy tracking with my menstrual cycle, so knowing the four phases of my cycle, also working with the power of the moon, I know that trying to be different than I am is a waste of energy. And I get a lot more done and I'm much more effective in the world when I am not wasting my energy trying to be different than I am. And our whole world, all time management systems, the vast majority of them, you know, most of the business world, the way corporations are set up, the way the government is set up, it was set up by mostly cisgender men. And so it's designed to work for them, which is great. It's just that a huge portion of the population is not that person. And so for those of us who aren't that person, we really have to do the work of getting to know our own energetic needs and ebbs and flows so we can work with who we are as opposed to trying to fit ourselves into a system that was never created for us in the first place. It's so powerful. And, you know, when I started properly tracking my cycle and understanding I was able to predict forward and think about my work in that way. It is beyond a game changer. It's, as you say, you know, I came from a corporate world and now isn't it baffling that in that corporate world, I was expected to work at the same rate, nine till, you know, whenever, eight, nine at night, often pretty much all year round. And I think it's just so powerful. And also it really links into what we were talking about asking for help. Because I think if we know when we are going to feel low energy or low creativity, that's the times that we can intersect with that brilliant practice of asking for help. And so if someone's listening and this might be a new concept to them, where does someone start around managing their energy, not their time? So if you are a woman who is having a regular, predictable healthy menstrual cycle, unmedicated. And I also mean not with an IUD because an IUD is still messing with your cycle. I am not judging birth control right now. Birth control is amazing for certain reasons, but I'm just here to say that if you are using any kind of medicated birth control or even a non-hormonal IUD, you are not having the predictable cyclical natural, healthy hormonal ebbs and flows that are part of your superpower. And there may be times in your life that that's appropriate. And so, you know, you make your choice. If you are one of those women 
natural unmedicated cycle. Start to track your cycle. Get to know the four phases of your cycle. Get to know when they start, when they end. Get to know how you feel throughout the month at different times and get to know what kind of support you can give yourself at different times. Now, if you're pregnant, if you had a hysterectomy, if you're on hormonal birth control, if you are postmenopausal, if you are not having a period for any number of reasons, there's so many reasons that somebody who identifies as female may not have a a period, then I'm going to recommend tracking with the moon. So you can get a great lunar tracking app. I like the moon calendar app. I think that one's really beautiful. And just get to know like, oh, here's the new moon. Oh, here's the first quarter moon. Here's the full moon. Here's the final quarter moon. These predictable ebbs and flows. I don't know if it's because I pay more attention. I think it is, but at the full moon, things are really intense for me emotionally. Like I just know that we have really interesting data that there are more emergency room visits and more crimes committed at the full moon. Things are just more intense at that time. We know that the tides are higher at the full moon, for example. So if you think about our emotions and the connection, you know, water is the element of emotion. Tides are high, emotions are high. And so just knowing that kind of information can be really helpful. So instead of allowing yourself to be thrown for a loop and having all this wasted energy, again, trying to have things be different than they are, it's like, oh, I know during the first two days of my period, I'm pretty spacey and I can't really get a lot of traction on anything, but I'm super intuitive and I'm great at getting clarity. So I block time during that time for meditation and for journaling and for really making decisions from that deeper, wiser place. And then I also know, you know, during a full moon, like my sleep might be wonky, you know, I'm going to have some intensity emotionally. So I give myself space for that. And then when you get to know these things over time about yourself, you can not only create the support so your life can keep going during these ebbs and flows, but you can also use these ebbs and flows for your greater purpose. So Yes, I might be spacey and tired when I have my period, but I'm also really intuitive. So I use that. And yes, I might feel really hyped up and wired at a full moon or maybe even during ovulation. So I know that I can push it and work longer. I know that I can stay up later at that time and I won't have as many repercussions as if I tried to do that right around my period. So you might be listening and be like, how the heck would you ever find this out? I have been doing a daily energy tracking practice for the last four years, which is how I know these things about myself. So you're not going to know right off the bat, but if you just start to pay attention, you'll get to know pretty fast. And then it's really awesome to be able to know these things about yourself so you can support yourself. What I love particularly about the way that you talk about this and the word that just keeps coming up for me is this kind of flow. And I feel like so much of what you teach is that resistance is such an energy burner. When we resist who we are or we resist who our children are or we resist you know, the way that we are and the way that we work or whatever it is, it is so depleting, isn't it? And I'm wondering, is there anything in your life right now that you are struggling to accept? Well, I mentioned that I'm having this situation go on in my life. And while I won't get into the details because I'm like right in the middle of it, the nature of it is familiar to me. It has happened before. And it's like this people-pleasing feeling, right? And so I think for me, an ongoing journey is 
increasing my capacity to feel okay with other people not being okay. And so I really have trouble accepting that sometimes things I do, other people aren't going to like, whether it's people I don't know on social media, whether it's my family, whether it's my husband, whether it's a friend, you know, just that feeling of like, I know that I'm being true to myself, but in my truth to myself and my allegiance to myself, I am disappointing others. And it's brutal. That's the part that makes me feel like I'm going to die and I'm getting better at it. And so each time I feel less like I'm going to die, but it's still really hard for me. And I would say, you know, today I'm like in that raw place. So if you're listening and like you're a people pleaser and it feels like when people are disappointed with you, you're going to die. I just want you to know you're not alone. I so relate. And, you know, I think my kind of healing around this stuff, as you were saying, has been cellular because, you know, I learned that our brains and our, you know, beliefs are really set, you know, zero to seven years. We know that. And I think for me, when I was younger, I experienced a lot of conditional praise. So when I feel like I don't get that, the little girl in me, that five-year-old in me, it feels that young. It's my inner child. It's not my like 37-year-old woman. <laughs> no, of course not. She's got it all intellectually figured out. You know, I know this stuff. I've read the books. I've done the trainings. But it's a totally different ball game, isn't it? When you're sat there and it's your little girl. So well said. Thank you. We are going to wind down, but I just wanted to ask you, you know, something that I just love about the book and your work is how practical it is. Is it 18? I haven't got the book in front of me. 14, 14 experiments in the book. For a fortnight, and as you would say in the UK. We would say fortnight. And it's been out a while now. So I'm wondering from your community and your, you know, thousands of readers at this point, is there one or two that people seem to really clutch onto and love? And could you share those with my audience listening who might not have read your book yet? I'm sure they will after this interview, but they might not have read it yet. So that would be really helpful. And then we'll close. So we've already touched on tracking your energy instead of your time, which is definitely one of them. We've touched a little bit on using your cycle as a superpower. So we've touched on that. We also touched a little bit on becoming a time bender. So those are three different experiments we've already talked about. We've already talked about asking for help. So that's another big one. So the one I'll speak about next is receiving help. So I actually broke them up into two chapters because at first the asking for help chapter was 25,000 words. And just so you know, my book contract was for 75,000 words. So it was a full, (laughs) (laughs) it was like a third of the book I had to say on this one topic. Maybe that's the next book. Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say that there's more there. But um, my editor was like, maybe we break this up into two chapters and edit it down heavily. I was like, okay. So the receiving help chapter actually comes first because what we forget is that there's actually a lot of help available to us already that we just have blocks up against. So from something as simple as going out to lunch and your girlfriend wants to pay for you and you won't let her, that's resisting receiving. That's blocking support. 
or somebody saying, oh, you look so beautiful in that dress. And you instead being like, oh, it's so old and it was on sale and like, oh, it makes me look frumpy, right? That's another resisting receiving when somebody says me, I help you. You know, the other day I was, I have a tendency to carry like ridiculous numbers of bags and beverages to my office every day. And I just like had too much stuff. And this guy who works down the hall was like, can I help you? He saw me struggling going down the stairs. And my knee jerk reaction was like, no, I've got it. And then I practiced what I preached. So I was like, I would love some help because I know that one of my areas of growth is receiving support. And it was so lovely to actually not be carrying everything down the stairs by myself. And he was thrilled to help. I know it totally just like he felt great about himself. So receiving help, huge, receiving the help that's already available to you. So that's one experiment. And then the final one I will touch on, which is like my all time favorite is treating sleep as a spiritual practice. You know, when we are well rested, we are resilient. When we are well rested, we are conscious. When we are well rested, we are present. When we are well rested, we we just like everything works better, you know? And so prioritizing sleep. Now I understand if you're listening to this and you have a small child who wakes up in the night, I just, I love you. And that is so freaking hard. And I have been there for many years. (laughs) So for you, I might recommend checking out Yoga Nidra, which is actually yogic sleep. And in 20 minutes, you can get the restoration that you would get in three hours of sleep through these Yoga Nidra meditations. So check that out, especially if you are somebody who can't get the sleep you need at night. But if you are somebody who can shut down screens an hour before bedtime, drink your chamomile tea, whatever you need to do, we actually even turn off our Wi-Fi at night in our house because we notice an improvement in our sleep quality without that extra electromagnetic field. So all those things, very, very powerful. They'll make your whole life so much easier. Wow, that's brilliant. I was was actually scribbling there about yoga nidra because I used to do a lot of it. And actually, I just have forgotten that that was instantly available to me. So thank you for that. I might do that this afternoon. Awesome. (laughs) So I always ask the same question at the end of every interview, which is, Kate, if you could give just one gift to all the mothers and I use mothers in its broadest definition, what's the gift that you would give and why? The gift that I would give to all mothers is to know that you are enough right now and you do not need to prove your worthiness or your enoughness. Your value is not determined by how much you get done. And I'll end with the way I ended my book, which is, The world does not need you busy. The world needs you here and it's enough. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute honor to connect. Thank you for your time. I'm so grateful. Thanks for having me. Oh, you take care. So that was the episode. I hope that you really enjoyed it. As ever, if you did, please consider sharing it with your friends and leaving me a review on iTunes. It really does make a difference to the number of mums that we can reach with the brilliant wisdom 
of the guests I have on. Also, just a reminder about the Family Reset Plan. It's my latest offering to parents. I think that we are living in probably the challenge of our lifetimes. Well, definitely so far. And as parents, we not only have to support ourselves, we also have to support our children. And that is a lot. So the Family Reset Plan is myself and two brilliant psychologists and we give you step-by-step, simple, applicable ways that you can support yourself emotionally to feel stronger, calmer, and therefore to support your children in a different way. It's all grounded in psychology and neuroscience. It's just 25 pounds currently. And if you work for the NHS, it is totally free for you. So check out the website, familyresetplan.co.uk. Take care, I'll see you next time.